Anybody see last night there was a uh, the Steeler Raider game? Anybody hear about it? Uh, I didn't. I didn't see it. I have to work on Christmas Eve, so I didn't. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I heard about it. I heard it was a, a pretty good game. Um, Steelers won kind of in the last minute or so, I think. Um, neither team this year, uh, neither of them are having a great season particularly. I think uh, both of them before the, before the game last night was six and eight. But I kind of knew uh, the night was going to be uh, kind of an important night, um, an emotional night, if you're a, certainly if you're a Steeler fan, even just a football fan in general. Um, because during halftime, they uh, retired Franco Harris's number. Uh, he was the great, if, you didn't, if you're not a football person, he was the great uh, Hall of Fame running back for the Steelers back in the 70s. And he died. He died this week, very suddenly, very unexpectedly. Um, he was absolutely going to be at this ceremony. They were retiring his number. Um, so people were just stunned, just the timing of it all. And the Steelers picked last night very specifically a couple of, couple of reasons why they waited until that game on that night to retire his number. Number one, um, they were playing the Raiders, and they, the Raiders and the Steelers pretty much hate each other. Um, they've had a, a rivalry, an intense rivalry that goes back to goes 50 years. In fact, in fact, it goes back to 50 years ago, two days ago, December 23rd, 1972. Um, they were playing each other in a uh, division playoff game. Steelers were losing by a point. It was seven to six, and 22 seconds were left on the clock. And uh, so it was fourth and 10 for the Steelers. They were on their own 40-yard line, so, oh, and they have no timeouts. So it was like not looking good at all for the Steelers. This was pretty much it. Terry Bradshaw, who was the Steeler quarterback, throws a pass to his receiver, but it, uh, it goes through the receiver's hands. The ball hits the back of the defending player, the safety, hits his helmet, and kind of ricochets backward, back kind of in the direction of the line of scrimmage. Maybe about 15 yards, it ricochets back. And Franco Harris, who wasn't even in the, in the play, he was on the field, but he was not at all really, he was blocking. He catches it, and it's an amazing, you, he catches it just as it's about to hit the ground. In fact, some, there was always controversy. Did it actually hit the ground? Did it not? That's how close it was. But like, out of nowhere, Franco Harris shows up, gets the ball, and then scores a touchdown. And the Steelers win it. Um, it's considered, I think by most, it's considered the most famous play in NFL history. It was just kind of an incredible play. Um, actually, let's, we have the videotape. Let's take a look. Last chance for the Steelers. Bradshaw trying to get away. And his pass is broken up by Tatum. Tipped off. Franco Harris has it. And he's over. Look! Franco Harris. Half 
Ricochet out there off of Jack Tatum and into the man of the year, Franco Harris's hands. Here's the miracle of all miracles. From out of nowhere. It became known, uh, somebody coined it, the Immaculate Reception. Um, and it's really kind of gone into folklore. Uh, that win, kind of that miracle win, really sparked a dynasty with the, uh, the Steelers. Before that game, the Steelers were about, their, the uh, organization were about, they're about 40 years old. This is in 1972, and they had never won a playoff game prior to that one. In fact, they had never even scored a playoff, a touchdown in a playoff game until that moment in that game. And then went on, they never turned back during the 1970s. They won four Super Bowls in six years. So that play has been talked about for 50 years and now literally being the 50th anniversary almost to the day, everybody was kind of talking about it and that's why they chose to retire Harris's number last night and he died on Tuesday. Um, Terry Bradshaw, who's the quarterback, was asked, was being asked about the play and he talks more about Franco Harris than he does the play itself. Pretty much, he talks about where he was on the field. He wasn't even, he wasn't supposed to get the ball. The ball was never intended. It wasn't a pass to him. He was blocking. This is what Terry Bradshaw said about the play. Not really the play, really about Franco Harris. He said, the minute I threw the ball, Franco took off. I asked him, what made you run downfield? And he said, he was taught that's what you do in college, that when the quarterback releases the ball, you run to the play. You run to the ball. Terry Bradshaw says, had he not been taught that, had he not been taught that, he wouldn't have released and gone downfield. That's exactly what he did and that's why he caught that pass. You run to the play. You run to the ball. Let me ask you a question on this Christmas morning. What do you find yourself running to? Most. Like we run to lots of things, right? Lots of places, lots of people. Where do you run hardest most often? I think, it's a, I think it's an important question. He said, you run to the play. Terry Bradshaw, really Franco Harris said, you run to the play. So my question to you this morning is, what's your play look like? And obviously, I'm not talking about football. I'm talking about the lives we're living. What do you run to most? And now, I get, and then the question really is, is it, is it the place to be running? Like, am I, is, is, is most of my energy going to the right place? You know, back in the fall, uh, we decided to do something a little different with uh, religious ed, faith formation. Um, we began these meetings with uh, parents, but it wasn't like a parent meeting. Usually, 
you always have them. They all show up in the hall, and you're sitting on a, on a metal folding chair, and, you know, you, there's a meeting of some kind. This wasn't that at all. It was almost like the opposite of that. We had these meetings with uh, staff members, about five or six of us, Deacon Mike, the priest, religious ed crew, and we met individually with parents, parents of second graders. So these kids are gonna be making their first communion, you know, in, in the spring. And the thinking was this, let's like try to connect with these people personally, individually, conversationally. Not long, it was like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. We just kind of asked them to sign up on a slot to, for an appointment. And we just wanted to talk about faith. Ask them about their faith. Ask them how, like, you know, how does faith fitting into your family? How is faith with you personally as a mom or a dad? Like basically, how's it going with God in your life? Because you're getting ready for a big event in your kid's life, a good, a, an important faith moment. So like, let's talk about it. What's working? Like what's not? It was a great idea. Um, it wasn't even, it wasn't my idea, but it was a great one. It was just, uh, I think the people appreciated it. We totally did. And there were some takeaways. Absolutely some takeaways. Number one, it was just, it was nice to just be reminded how much parents love their kids. Like it was just so evident hearing these kid parents talk about their second grader and beyond, if they have other kids, just how they really are the priority of their lives and how they do want God. They don't want God to be a stranger to their kids. Because like they know, they know like, hey, there's just this flat out gonna be moments in life when, when the only place to go is faith. <laughs> so if God is a stranger to my kid, he or she is not gonna know where to go when it hits the fan. So I want my kid to know who Jesus is. So that was really cool and encouraging. This was another takeaway. This was just more, I guess, kind of troubling. I'd say to a person, at least the ones that I spoke with, everybody talked about the pace of life, the pace of their lives, like the speed with which they're running their lives. And nobody was, nobody was bragging about it. Nobody was happy about it. It wasn't, look at me, I'm running around like a maniac. It was, why are we running, we're running around like maniacs and like we know it's, it's like it's so hard for us to catch our breath. As a family, as individuals, as parents, as kids, like we just can't seem to catch our breath. One mom said, she said, I feel like, I feel like I'm on a roller coaster and I can't really get off it and it never stops and it's flying. It's just going too fast and I feel like I can't get off it. And then people talked about the effects of just that, like this roller coaster thing. It's like we're never really together in good ways as a family, or not, a, not, a, not enough in good ways as families. We're together, but it's always like this motion. It's always like a mission. We're rarely just sort of hanging out. 
We never seem to have a quiet weekend anymore. Too many dinners in the back seat of the car because he's being dropped here, she's being dropped there, and then an hour later being picked up and there's just, there's just no time to eat. That wasn't our agenda. Like we didn't ask questions to kind of elicit that from them. Like it all kind of came up. It was like, we want to be better with God, but the roller coaster's just kind of making it hard. You know that quote from Terry Bradshaw and Franco Harris? It's like, you run to the ball. You run to the play. Like, you gotta have this focus, they said. That's what they were taught. So it's like, what's our focus? I think what we were all in these conversations, and all of us, I mean, the, the ones asking the questions, this parish staff people, we were agreeing. We're all like on kind of on a roller coaster of sorts. Some crazier than others, some faster than others. But I think like collectively, we're all like kind of like, yeah, have we, have we kind of taken our eyes off the play, off the ball? Are we sprinting toward something, someone else? Not unimportant, but not most important. Stuff that's not most important but we're breaking records, sprinting toward it. And we're stressed because of it. I was listening to this po uh, podcast a couple of, I guess a couple of months ago. It was all about this. It was something, the title was something like, you know, living in an anxious, or surviving an anxious culture. And this psychologist was saying, yeah, like it's just, we're, we're off our game. That's what everybody's talking about, this, this, this shrink in his sessions. He's just like, yeah, that's what, all my clients, they're all, it's all variations of the same theme. We just won't, we're not, we're not slowing down. We're not unplugging anything. And we're feeling the effects of it. Everybody seems to be anxious. Man, you hear about that with, about kids constantly. But this isn't just a kid thing. It's an us thing. People feeling insecure, kids struggling socially, just the reality of technology and social media, the addictive nature of that. Like we're looking at our kids and we're like, I, I, this is not good. Like I can't get the stinking thing out of his hand. I can't get her attention. And we know it's like, oh, it's not just a teenage thing. This is like, this is not good. Kids talking about expressing, you know, being lonely or sad, isolation. This guy's point, this therapist's point was like, yeah, you know what? Everybody's feeling it. Everybody sees it. Nobody's really denying it, but nobody's willing to jump off of the, out of the roller coaster. And he's like, we can, but we just won't. It's nothing new, actually. You know, I think it's just the human condition. <laughs> go back 100 years, go back 500, go back 1,000. A, a, a it's just, we screw things up. We end up running after stuff that we shouldn't be sprinting after. And in the process, we forget 
who we really ought to be focused on, like the play. We, we mess up the ball, the play. We make this most when it's not. 2,700 years ago, Isaiah, Old Testament prophet, we just heard from him. He describes what was going on with the people then. Nothing new, details different. Had nothing to do with technology. He called it the land of gloom. People were like stumbling around in the land. People walked in darkness, he says, and dwelt in the land of gloom. But then there was this light and this child. He was the play. He was the ball. He was the one that people started to follow and focus on and commit to. And those people, they pulled the Franco Harris. They stayed focused and they escaped the land of gloom because they just redirected their focus, their energy to the right place, to the right person. Hey, that's how Isaiah expressed it. Land of gloom. I think it's like some of the Christmas carols. Oh, holy night, I love it. I think it's probably my favorite of them all. Oh, holy night. Look at how that's described, whoever wrote it. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. That's it. A weary world. That's what those parents, I don't know if they, anybody literally used that word, but I think that's what they're communicating. Like, oh man, I'm just kind of weary. I mean, are we all kind of collectively weary? And this song says, a weary world rejoices. Hope, hope comes into the world and the weariness goes away. If you let the hope in, if we redirect the play. Man, what a gift today on a day of (laughs) gifts. To say, like, as an individual, as a family, as a people, man, this would be the gift to Jesus. The gift to God would be this. I refocused. Because of this Christmas, I, I found out the play that matters. I changed the plan. I shifted priorities. You know why God would be so psyched? God doesn't need a gift. God doesn't need a stinking thing from us. You know why God would be so psyched? Because we'd be less weary. He doesn't want us weary. We make ourselves weary. You know that play? 50 years ago, two days ago. Watch it again, you know, uh, YouTube it, Google it. It's uh, Kurt Gowdy. If you're of a certain age, you remember him. He was a the great broadcaster, sportscaster. He was calling that game. And he called the play, and then they, and then they said, like it was so crazy, they said, Let, let's, you know, let's watch it again, the, the, the videotape. So they're getting ready to watch it again, and he goes, here's your miracle of miracles. And then they show the tape. Here's your miracle of miracles. 
I don't think so. And with all due respect to Kurt Gowdy, it wasn't the miracle of miracles. That play, most famous ever, sure. One for the ages, yeah. Miracle of miracles, no. That's today. And that's here. And it's ours. So make him your play. And get off that roller coaster. <laughs>